I'm Jessica Duenas, and this is Bottomless to Sober, the podcast where I talk about anything and everything related to life since my transition from bottomless drinking to a sober life. Hey everyone, today's episode discusses some very strong content, including a suicide attempt, strong language, and drug use. Please do not listen to this episode if the strong content is not for you. Please come back and check out other episodes. Otherwise, I hope that you enjoy this story and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. So first, before we start today's episode, I just wanted to share an announcement that on New Year's Eve, December 31st, I'm actually going to be hosting a New Year's Eve self-forgiveness workshop. It's called Feelings Aren't Facts, a New Year's Eve self-forgiveness workshop. And essentially, it's going to be a 90-minute workshop where we're going to go through some um, reflection work, but really also I'm doing some exercises on evaluating our guilt, resentment, and anger towards ourselves And then I'm diving into some next step works where we are either honoring our younger selves or um, preparing for our future selves. And so I definitely invite you to check it out. Um, The information is live on my website at bottomlesstosober.com if you want to check it out and see if it's something that you want to do to get your this 2023 wrapped up um, with some really powerful reflections. But with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, So for today's episode, what I wanted to do was actually share an old story that I had written. So in 2021, I had interviewed Anna. Anna is not her real name, but she did not want to disclose her identity for the purposes of sharing this story on a public platform. And I wanted to go ahead and just reread her story and share it with you all because it is a really powerful story that resonates with so many of us in terms of the struggles that we go through when we deal with addiction. So The story was originally titled, You Don't Know What You Don't See, and this is Anna's story. Life in active addiction is difficult. Getting sober can be nearly impossible for some, and a sober life does not necessarily equal an easy life. Anna's story is full of countless challenges, lots of falls, and even more comebacks. Sobriety is a challenge, but I wouldn't trade my life today for anything is something that Anna had said when we met. Raised by her abusive mother, Anna's childhood only increased in chaos as she grew. She described her mother as the older she got, the crazier she got. And I mean, she caught herself on fire. And yes, Anna meant this literally. Her mother really did catch herself on fire. What about your dad, Anna? Anna's dad was primarily absent from her childhood. And she said, my dad, I saw him a handful of times growing up. I always wanted to be with him, especially because my mother was constantly hurting us. She hurt us a lot. My dad had a wreck drinking and driving. He actually killed someone, so he went to prison. Anna's a fast talker and can get a lot out in a single breath. So after she said all that, she did pause, but then continued. There was always something that was causing me trauma, and I didn't even know. I didn't understand that it was happening to me. I didn't understand any of it. I wasn't allowed to kiss my mother, hug my mother, or tell her that I loved her. I just couldn't find the love. I was a good kid. I wasn't a bad kid. When I was 16, she continued, that's when I found alcohol and drugs. My first drink felt like I could breathe. I felt that people cared about me. The people that did drugs and alcohol, they didn't judge me. They didn't make fun of how I looked. I fit right in. Anna then described how drugs and alcohol brought her the peace and comfort she yearned for since early childhood life. Her life was really chaotic and confusing, so for her to escape 
was bliss. I assumed that since her mother had been so abusive, that her doing drugs would only have brought on more chaos at home. So how was your relationship with your mother now that you were older and she found out that you were doing drugs, I asked. Anna had chuckled. At the time, we started using together. It brought the relationship to a different level. I finally had something she wanted, so she started to be nice to me. It was good. She started liking my friends, too. She was just easier to be around. This new bond, however, didn't last long. One day, her mother had Anna drive up to her mother's boyfriend's house, and as her mother got out of the car, she turned to Anna and in a harsh yet hushed tone said, don't get out of the car, don't say anything, and shut your mouth, Anna recalled. Her mother went into the house and rushed out shortly after, taking Anna straight home. Anna's mom had just robbed her own boyfriend. As they heard a car pull up, which was the boyfriend's car, they went and hid inside the back. Anna recalled watching the car slowly pull into the driveway and pausing. They held still, watching him. Steadily, he put the car in reverse and backed away, driving off as if he had come in. Had he gone a hair further, he would have seen them. Once he was gone, her mother went through the house, ransacking it searching for all the drugs in the home, including what she stole, making sure not to leave a fraction of an ounce of weed and balancing the beer that remained in the fridge. She walked out. They didn't see their mother again for about four months. So you must have been devastated, right? I had asked. I was wrong. Anna and her sister, then ages 16 and 14 respectively, they were alone for a week. The wicked witch was gone, how they said it. So they partied, they had friends over, and they were distracting themselves. Yes, they thought about their mother. They wondered where she went, but they also felt relief. No one was in the house who could hurt them. Shortly after her mother's departure, the family got involved about a week later. It happened to be that her father was wrapping up his prison sentence, and as soon as he got out, he pulled the girls out of school to live with him and his girlfriend, her two kids, plus the additional two kids who would come over every other weekend. Eight people in a one-bedroom apartment. It was tight, but her father eventually got them into a house where they had room to stretch. With her mother gone and her father back in the picture, Anna looked forward to having a dad around. The time lost while he was away could now be made up. Hope had filled Anna's heart as she started this new life with her father. Anna said to me, I wanted my dad my entire life. But when I finally got my dad... I didn't have my dad at all. He was focused on his girlfriend and her sons. All the strangers were getting the affection. So one day, I came home high on weed. Then he called the police on me. They didn't do anything, so I did it again. I was so angry, Jessica. All these years, he abandoned me, and he hadn't been around. And now, I'm still not good enough? Things also weren't going any better at her new high school either. Um, she reported, I had been to 10 schools, and that was the worst school I had ever been in. You know, as a teacher, when she shared this, right, it's like, I've seen my fair share of parents who would come to school and raise hell if they suspected their daughter was being bullied. Um, but instead, what her dad did, her dad pulled her out of school senior year when she was dealing with being bullied. 
I didn't go to prom, she said, walk at graduation. I didn't participate in any senior trips. Instead, I spent my senior year in a treatment facility, Anna shared. Like Sarah, whose story I had shared several episodes ago, um, Anna, despite being the youngest in the facility, she did adjust fairly well. But she was furious and she felt betrayed. I didn't need to be around strangers. I needed someone to show me that they cared. But he just sent me there. I didn't get a yearbook when I was 17. I got a big book. I got a big book with everyone's signatures. When her time in treatment was up at age 18, Anna prepared to go back home, only to find that her stepmother was sending her to another facility instead of letting her come back into the house. At this point, Anna's mother had reappeared. She had also gone to treatment herself. So when Anna was getting transferred to the new facility, she escaped and hid from the police who were dispatched to find her. I mean, Jessica, I walked in the snow, knocking door to door, and hid, hoping that someone would let me in so I could avoid the cops. But no one let her in, and Anna did eventually get a hold of her mother. Her mother had a place to stay, so she let Anna stay with her. And though they each had just completed treatment programs for addiction, they didn't stay clean. And Anna didn't live with her mother for long either. The next few years of Anna's life were a blur. I don't remember what happened, she said. I just know that shit happened and it was all bad. Her drug use got worse. Crack, homelessness, moving around to different cities, hoping to get her life together. Anna looked out when her aunt gave her a chance and she moved into an apartment with her cousin in a new city. She was so grateful. Her drug use actually slowed down as a result, which was positive. But her drinking continued, and along with it, so did her depression. One day on her birthday, she hit a low point. Anna attempted suicide. In the hours leading to the attempt, Anna went out drinking for her birthday, hoping to find someone to spend the night with. She had the apartment to herself as her cousin was away on a camping trip. When she didn't connect with anyone, she came home drunk, upset, feeling rejected. Two dozen bright roses were sitting still, waiting for her when she arrived. They were a gift from her sister. Anna snapped. She scrambled around the apartment, looking for anything with a sharp edge, razors, knives, whatever she thought would cut her flesh. She laid in bed, preparing to rip at her wrists when the doorknob, when the doorknob rattled. She heard the door squeak and then a shriek. Her cousin had walked in. Seeing Anna lying in the bed with the blade against her wrist, her cousin straight up just leaped into the bed. And when she landed, her cousin felt a poke and ripped the sheet up off of Anna, revealing every sharp tool in the apartment that was just laid around her. She called 911 and Anna went straight to the hospital again. Anna shared, I was pissed. I wanted to D-I-E. She spelled the word die. She spelled the word out, being mindful of her son possibly being within earshot as she was speaking. I felt horrible. I wanted to die. And no one even let me try. I would pray to God. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I have always asked God since I was a kid. I never had any love, no kindness. I couldn't take it. I just didn't want to keep going through life. It was too overwhelming and hard. After her attempt in the apartment, Anna's aunt didn't allow her to return. Anna eventually ended up back home and moved in with a friend. She did find her way back to drugs, but this time, not for long. 
When she moved in, she met John, the boy next door. He later became her husband. Anna had a habit of attracting younger men. So throughout our conversation, she occasionally referred to them as boys. Her connection with John filled a void for Anna, and she found herself willing to give up everything for him. The drugs, the alcohol, even cigarettes. Those were the rules that I wanted him to live by, and I was willing to do the same, she shared. He was okay with it. He chose me. He gave up all of his comforts with his family for the sake of being with me. I felt loved. For the duration of her marriage, which was about six years, Anna didn't touch alcohol or drugs. Toward the end of their relationship, she started stealing his grandmother's prescriptions, however. And though the pill use appeared minor at the time, this was a slip that would eventually lead to a landslide. When they divorced, Anna was happy to move on. In her married years, she did well for herself and was ready to be an independent single woman. Outside of those few pills she was sneaking, everything was great. Anna was recently divorced and 30 when she met up with some friends at a festival. She hadn't had a drink in seven years, and her friends were excited to taste wine. Anna said, I thought to myself, I'm grown. I'm a woman now. I know right from wrong. I mean, I drive a Mercedes. Certainly I'm not going to drink and drive in a Mercedes. I'd become sophisticated. (laughs) But on day one of drinking, after seven dry years, she went straight from tasting the wine to pounding drinks at a bar past two in the morning. And shortly after that, drugs came right back into the picture. So much of what Anna gained in those seven years that she was sober, vanished, or was at risk of being ruined. Nothing in Anna's life was steady except for the hold drugs and alcohol had on her again. During an attempt to get sober in 2015, Anna had moved into a halfway house and met another boy, quote unquote. He was 11 years younger than her, and he was barely a few months sober. Things moved quickly. It was August. They met. October came. They were living together. Come November, Anna was pregnant. By the end of the year, however, Eddie relapsed and left town after he robbed a local heroin dealer. Anna was alone, briefly, but she followed after Eddie because I wanted my baby hell or high water to have a mom and dad there. Except Eddie couldn't stay out of jail and he couldn't stay sober. Once her son Bryson was born, Anna couldn't stay sober either. In the years that followed, there were attempts at getting clean. They tried to get it together. They moved cities, looked for different environments. But no matter where they went, they couldn't escape their addiction. The following years consisted of breakups, attempts to get sober, broken promises, and increasingly worse drug use. Then then things took a turn for the worse. They pulled in from having bought some spice. They looked at their money. In front of them were only five $1 bills. They looked at each other. They knew what to do. Sure, they had just come from buying the drugs, but why not be efficient and get the $5 worth now so that they wouldn't have to turn around and worry about it later? Then the last thing that Anna could remember was putting the car in reverse. Next thing, she opens her eyes to find herself surrounded by white smoke. It was choking her. Her entire body was throbbing. She didn't realize where she was until she looked up, and as she focused her eyes, a tree came into view as the smoke cleared. Anna had swerved into oncoming traffic, crossed four lanes, and crashed into a tree on the side of the road. 
Eddie was in the car with her. So was their son. I figured this is the part of the story where the arrest happens, you know, as we're talking. So I asked her, did you get arrested? And her response was, no, I woke up real quick. I made up this whole story about how I had to swerve to avoid someone who looked like they were on the phone. And so to avoid hitting that driver, I said that I lost control of my car. The police believed me. No ticket, no arrest, nothing. I didn't even have insurance or any papers for the car. Nobody was even hurt. But I took that as a sign and I left Eddie again. Though Anna was briefly clean, she connected with yet another quote-unquote boy with who she had gone to elementary school. This one's name is Jason. She obsessed over him for a year. And after much anticipation upon meeting, she immediately felt something. She said, I don't know, something just wasn't right. I thought that maybe Jason's probably not sober. And she continued to describe the moment. It was something about the way his head was cocked to the side. Oh, and he asked for money too. I knew I shouldn't have talked to him, Jessica. The problem with me is that it never matters. If I want something, I'm going to get something. And I just don't care. He was a heroin user. And at this point, I was no longer scared of the high. I wanted to know exactly what everyone was talking about. He didn't want me to try it. So I told him that either he get me heroin and help me use it, or I was going to go out there, find it myself, and probably die trying because I wouldn't do it right. I told him, I'll die and it'll be on your conscience. That was enough to have him get me the heroin. And so from then on, they used heroin together, always in secret. It was fun at first, she said. I was high all the time. I pretended to be a mom. I pretended to be present, but I was high all the time. Then one, the one thing she didn't do was put a needle in her arm. She only snorted it. She said, I was almost at the point of shooting up, but then my mom died and that changed everything. Anna was going to her mother's house one day with her son. She was heading to work and her mother was going to babysit. I, I don't know what happened to her. I walked in with my kid and she was dead on the floor. I think when my mama went to heaven, she found out what I was doing and shifted things. So I had to stop heroin. Anna had not experienced, quote unquote, the dope sickness because she never ran out of heroin. Then one day, the jump out boys got her and Jason. And I was like, wait, what, what are jump out boys? So she started to explain the police officer came to my car and at that moment, as she said that, I was like, okay, so this is the part of her story where she gets arrested. But nope, I was still wrong. <laughs> she got off with a warning. Um, but she had to give all of the drugs she had over to the police officer, right? Because they like jump out and like kind of get you. Um, as soon as the police officer walked away, it hit her that not once in her life did she ever have to go get drugs. Um Finding heroin at that point seemed like it was practically impossible. People would sell her fake drugs, and it got so bad that she had to find a former sponsee that she had, who she also knew had relapsed, to get her drugs. And, you know, eventually, I mean, Anna just grew tired of that struggle, and she decided that she needed to get off of heroin, and she left that guy, Jason. So I asked her, so did you go to treatment to get off heroin? I asked. Her response, nope, I smoked meth for four days. For four days, she stayed in the bathroom. 
using meth to help her get through the dope sickness that heroin withdrawal brought on. All the while, her son was home. I made sure to check on him, feed him, leave him, and then go retreat into the bathroom to stay high in there. I made sure he ate, that he had a toy, the TV on, anything to keep him entertained while I hid in the bathroom. When she learned what long-term meth use does, she freaked out and got sober again. Then Eddie called. Just like before, he came with promises, waving the white flag of so-called sobriety, that he was just using CBD. Curious, Anna decided to try some CBD when he offered. And as soon as she hit the pipe, she felt that smoke flow into her lungs. And suddenly her heart sank because it wasn't CBD. It was THC. They were driving. And when Eddie saw her face overcome with worry, he started laughing. And he said, let's make a stopover at this house. We need to pick up something. And angrily, you know, she was crying as they picked up like drugs. She cried as she watched him go mad in her house, taking things apart, becoming obsessive, becoming compulsive. He had to go. So Eddie finally left. And Anna felt like she needed to take the edge off and drink. So she picked up two wine bottles. She uncorked one, sipped some. And as she felt the buzz start in her body, she realized, I don't want to do this. She opened the other wine bottle and she poured out all that she had left. It all went down the drain. This was on July 18th, 2018. I'm sorry, 2019. And Anna said, I prayed God that's the last time that I picked up a white chip. If you're listening, a white chip in 12-step programs is the first chip that people pick up um, to denote like a fresh start. So it's like the 24-hour chip. So how has Anna stayed sober ever since? Her response, I've stayed away from men. My thinker doesn't work when I'm around them. I only have made bad decisions and I decided to focus only on my recovery. And then she paused. But things have changed recently, she said. Mark, a family friend who was going through divorce, started reaching out to her. So she, Anna tells the story. For months, I refused each invite to dinner, to a movie, to a walk. Then one day after a long work week, I agreed to go to a movie. And from there, it was perfect. We connected on a deeper level than any I felt before. He told me he would take care of me, of my son, that he wanted to have a baby with me. He even told my father. I thought to myself, well, I've been patient. I'm finally going to get something good. As Anna was speaking, you know, her voice was picking up that enthusiastic note too. Like I was even getting excited for her. I mean, I personally thought, yes, that's right. She's been so patient. Now she's getting the love she's been waiting for. But her tone changed. Then one day I get a call at work. I remember hearing that tone change and I immediately cringed and I like started to brace myself. Oh God, I thought. (laughs) He told me to come and get my things, that his wife was coming back, that he didn't love me anymore, that he loves his wife. I didn't have anywhere safe to go. My roommate had relapsed and I couldn't go back there with my son. So I stayed with a friend in the program. This all happened three weeks before we met. But, you know, when I had this conversation with Anna Um, thankfully Anna had just found a home recently. So at the time of this interview, she had found a safe space for her and for her son. It's the most beautiful home I've ever lived in. 
It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Despite this heartbreak, Anna has stayed sober. She maintained optimism and was ready to move on and not let this set her back. Yeah, she was hurt. She was reeling from the shock, but she was grateful to have a home and be safe. But then she started to feel sick and she felt different. So she took a pregnancy test. It was positive. She took more. Each one was positive. Mark called me, telling me to meet him at the clinic to get rid of it. I've done too much in my life to go get an abortion. I told him to get fucked and hung up. For days, he persisted, though, calling her phone, calling her at work. I told Mark not to worry, that I don't want him. This isn't a trap. I'm a grown woman. I've made my bed, and I'm going to line it and take care of my kid. So that's where I'm at. Anna spoke firmly with a strong resolve. So I asked her, how are you feeling now? She said, well, I've never made it to two years while trying to be in recovery. The fact that I have a baby inside me makes me feel hopeful that I'll make it. So far, I have a good history of not doing drugs while pregnant, so I think I'll make it, she laughed. This baby is a blessing. This baby has saved my life. The baby is due in October of 2021. Mark's tried to deny that it's his, but he's just in denial. He begged for this baby for two months, and now he's trying to deny it. I can't wait to meet my baby. I have all the love to give this baby that I didn't get. So I had a few wrap-up questions. I had asked her, where's Eddie? He was in prison at the time. Though Anna knows they won't have the family she once dreamed of, she prays for him. She wants her son to have his father. I'm scared for Eddie. He's not using when he's in there. And when people sober up for a while and then they go shooting up, it's too strong for them and they're dying out here. I want my son to have his father. I don't want Eddie to die when he gets out. And Anna's right. That is way too common a story in recent years. What's next for Anna? At the time of this interview, she responded, well, I never got to finish music school when I was younger, but one thing that I will be doing is offering voice lessons. I can't wait. I'm really excited to do that here in the next few months. I'm working on a book. I have a lot of goals. I'm really taking care of myself this time. I'm not letting my sorrow, my emotions, or my pain get the best of me. I cope differently today. I don't cope with a bottle, a pill, or heroin. I cope with serenity, with God, with my support group, with music, with walking, anything and everything without putting some shit in my body. I refuse it. I'm definitely not above it, though. When this breakup first happened, I was really close to getting myself a bottle, but thank God I didn't. Today, I think everything through. I think, think, think. I think about my life and how I will go right back to where I was if I put anything in my body. I just can't. I've got two kids to think about now, and I've got a future that I want to have. And what about work? So fun fact, Anna is actually a nurse and she's been a nurse for 12 years. Anna completed college and her nursing school during those different time periods of sobriety that she's had throughout the years, right? Why did I intentionally leave out the fact that she's a nurse? Because we so often make vast assumptions, these wild assumptions about people who use, say, illegal drugs, right? And I just wanted to share Anna's story to point out that this is a nurse, like any other nurse that you might see at work. 
And this is her real story. Addiction doesn't target any specific group of people. So be mindful in your daily interactions with others because you don't know what you don't see. Hey, if you are enjoying what you are listening to, I invite you to subscribe and share the podcast, but also go to my website, bottomlesstosober.com and find out other opportunities to work with me from free workshops to writing classes to one-to-one life coaching opportunities. You can schedule a free consultation for that. Everything is available at bottomlesstosober.com. See you then.